Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we transplant weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Justine Hamilton talks about pregnant addictions. But first up, here's news of chewing gum, journalism and pigs. Chewing Gum Wars Two different research teams, one from Germany and one from the United States, have developed chewing gum that can help fight COVID-19. The SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19 breaks into human cells using angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, or ACE, ACE2, protein receptors. Both the new chewing gums have a harmless chemical that stops the virus binding with these receptors. ACE2 helps regulate blood pressure and inflammation. It works by preventing the body from overreacting during stressful situations. ACE2 also functions to protect the alveoli in our lungs, which take the oxygen out of the air we breathe and transfer it to our blood. Inflammation, blood pressure and breathing all go wrong when you're sick with COVID-19. SARS-CoV-2 replicates in the salivary glands, so that when someone who is infected sneezes, coughs, speaks or sings, some of that virus can be expelled and reach others. Chewing gum that neutralises the virus in your saliva could not only stop infected people from spreading COVID-19, but could also offer some protection to people who inhale viral particles. The Gobido company in Germany is selling chewing gum with a polymer sugar called Chidosan, to protect against COVID-19 infection in your mouth and throat. They have a research paper that you can download as a docx file from their company website, but it doesn't appear to have been published in a journal or peer-reviewed. The paper is titled Chitosan Immune-Boosting Interaction with SARS-CoV-2 by researchers from the Charity University Medicine Berlin in Germany. I couldn't find it on the university website. Fortunately, other researchers such as those from Kashan University of Medical Sciences in Iran and Isfahan University of Technology in Iran have published about using chitosan to fight COVID-19 in detail. Chitosan is a polymer sugar found in shellfish and some mushrooms with documented antiviral properties. A team at Al-Aliya Amman University in Jordan found that chitosan was so effective that it should be used as an adjuvant in COVID-19 vaccines, as a booster for the booster. Chitosan acts in two ways. It blocks the ACE2 receptors and it's positively charged, so it's attracted to the virus's receptor-binding domain spike. This enhances neutralising antibodies developed from vaccination to bind to the virus's surface spike protein, so your body can fight off COVID-19 more easily. The chewing gum is made into pellets. The chitosan coats your mouth and throat 
for up to 30 minutes after chewing and gives you extra protection from infection from COVID-19 virus particles that you've inhaled through your mouth and offers some protection from you when you speak or sing or cough or sneeze. Gobi Do Company say their chewing gum works best if you have a booster vaccination shot and wear a mask. Researchers at the University of Pex in Hungary have found that Chitizen can also help protect against COVID-19 when taken as a hydrogel nasal spray. Meanwhile, at the University of Pennsylvania in the United States, a team in collaboration with the Wistar Institute and Fraunhofer USA has been developing a chewing gum that contains plant analogues of ACE2 using a genetically engineered lettuce. The virus binds to the ACE2 in the gum instead of your cells. Their gum comes in sticks and inactivates 95% of virus in saliva. Their chewing gum is not on the market yet. Their paper was titled Debulking SARS-CoV-2 in Saliva Using Angiotensin Converting Enzyme 2 in Chewing Gum to Decrease Oral Virus Transmission and Infection and was published in the journal Molecular Biology. The war on journalism continues. The UK High Court has granted Julian Assange's legal team leave to appeal to the Supreme Court their own decision that it's just fine for the American government that tried to assassinate Mr. Assange to torture him in violation of US and UK law because he's perfectly healthy, despite suffering a stroke on camera during the trial, and because the Americans promised not to let him kill himself while they're torturing him and denying him procedural fairness. It's not legal under UK law for people to be extradited to places where they may be tortured or killed. It's explicitly illegal under the US Constitution to torture people. As Julian Assange reported, the US tortures people every day, both on US soil and in torture camps in other nations. Julian Assange will be charged by the American government with committing treason under the World War I Espionage Act, which was unconstitutionally formulated to stop American journalists criticising their government's war against the Kaiser. The law explicitly violates the US Constitution's protection of journalism and free speech. Julian Assange is not an American citizen, so it's insane to claim that he's committed treason against a foreign government. The Australian, British and American governments must stop attacking journalism and free Julian Assange immediately. Xenotransplants. In 2021, a pig's kidney was transplanted into a man who was brain dead but breathing on a ventilator. In 2022, researchers have planted a pig's heart into a live patient who's still breathing. In 1964, James Hardy at the University of Mississippi Medical Center transplanted a heart from a circus chimpanzee into a man. It was the world's first heart transplant. The chimpanzee heart was too small to keep the man alive, and he died 90 minutes after the surgery was complete. Christian Barnard in South Africa was the first surgeon to successfully transplant a heart from one human to another in 1967. In 1977, he tried transplanting a baboon heart into a woman. The baboon heart was half the size of a human heart, and it was implanted alongside the woman's own heart to help it along. The woman had suffered heart disease since birth. The operation took 12 hours, yet only two and a half hours later, the woman died. Her own heart failed 
and the baboon heart was too small to keep her alive on its own. In 1984, at the Loma Linda University Medical Center in California, a 15-day-old baby girl had a baby baboon's heart transplanted in a five-hour operation. She was known in the press as Baby Faye. Baby Faye had been born with a severe birth defect, hyperplastic heart syndrome, which made the left side of her heart much smaller than the right side. Surgeons expected the baby baboon heart to grow as the girl grew. She died a month after the operation. In 2021, researchers from the New York University Langone Transplant Institute implanted a kidney from a genetically engineered pig into a man who was brain dead, but breathing with a ventilator and with consent from his family. The pigs had been engineered to remove genes that make sugars known to trigger rejection by human immune systems. They also implanted the pig's thymus gland to improve the chances of the man's immune system accepting the transplanted kidney. The transplanted kidney produced urine normally. The experiment continued for 54 hours before the surgeons switched off the ventilator. In 2022, at the University of Maryland Medical Center, a man received a heart from a genetically engineered pig. As well as deleting the genes for making sugars that cause organ rejection, the pig also had the genes for several viruses removed from its genome to make sure these viruses didn't infect humans. The man wasn't able to have a mechanical heart pump nor a human heart transplant. It's been a few weeks since the operation, and so far, the man is doing well. Separate to the technical issues, there are ethical issues about using animals as spare parts for humans. When that animal is also a food animal, the issues start to blend more obviously with the ethics of eating meat. Back in 1977, comedian Jeremy Taylor in South Africa sang about xenotransplantation in the transplant Calypso. Here's a little song which I've dedicated to the work of one of South Africa's own sons, Dr. Christian Barnard, renowned, of course, throughout the world for his particular brand of medical satire. <laughs> um, well, he takes hearts out of people who are nearly dead. Puts them into other people who are also nearly dead. <laughs> With the result that they both die. <laughs> uh, he's also, of course, experimented with animals, which is uh, really what this song is about. Um, I suppose, of course, there's less trouble with relatives. And... <laughs> Having said all that, of course, um, he's, he's a marvellous man, Dr. Barnard, you all know that. And uh, uh, a man after my own heart, I might almost say, but I, I didn't... No, I didn't say that. Please wipe that off the record. I didn't say that, all right? Here we go. The other day, I was feeling ill. I went to the doctor to get some pill. He looked at me in despair, he said, my friend, you're badly in need of repair. 
Now with this up-to-date surgery, we get our spare parts from the menagerie. So if you'll kindly sit down a while, I'll just telephone for a crocodile. Soon I had the heart of an ape, the liver of a chicken, the blood of an ox through a tube, which the stick into my spleen, which I borrowed from a cow. I was human once, but I'm not sure now. <laughs> Walking down the street and my girlfriend I happened to meet My heart went bump dee dee bump Just like the ape that I got it from My ox blood boiled as that in the moo I was pouring at the ground, what else could I do? And when at last she walked on by I said cock-a-doodle-doo and started to fly Help me! I got the heart of a... The liver of a chicken, the blood of an ox through a tube, which the stick into me spleen, which I borrowed from a cow. I was human once, but I'm not sure now. No, no. Going out one night, me and a fella, we got into a fight. I hit him with the left, then I hit him with the right. But somehow I just couldn't finish the fight. No matter what I did, he kept coming at me. He was the stubbornest man I ever did see. It was in vain, I find out at last. This fella's got the jawbone of an ass. And me, I got the heart of an ape. The blood of an ox through a tube, which the stick into me spleen, which I borrowed from her. I was human once, but I'm... No. Well, in the end, I was getting fed up. And I said to this doctor, look, man, I've had enough. All this animal junk won't do. Get me some organ doesn't come out of the zoo. He said, well, now, what about this for size? I tell you, I hardly believe my eyes. I looked at this thing with dismay and suspicion. It was the brain of a politician. <laughs> I'd rather have the heart of an ape than the liver of a chicken. The blood of an ox through a tube is the stick into my spleen, which I borrowed from a cow. I was human once, but I'm not sure now. I was human once, but I'm not sure. Oh, no, now. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. How could pregnancy plus cravings lead to addiction? Here's Justine Hamilton with a personal account. Perhaps standing at the fuel pumps, inhaling petrol fumes wasn't the best look for a heavily pregnant woman in an ambulance uniform. But that was me ten years ago when I got my first whiff of my soon-to-be smell craving. That smell sparked a desire for something, something stronger. I racked my brains for what it could be, then I remembered. It had triggered a memory of the aroma of fuel briquettes that my parents used to use to light a cold barbecue. At that moment, I knew I had to get hold of some. I scoured the local servos and shops, but they had to be just right, which meant very potent. I believe it was my third shop that satisfied my yearnings. I didn't even manage to get out of the car park before I ripped open the package and I took long, deep breaths, inhaling the kerosene fumes and I became swathed in a cloud of euphoria. 
my head started spinning and my vision became blurred. I was shocked by the intensities of these fumes, so I did stop sniffing, but not for long. My next trick was to run the briquette over my collar, so I had a constant perfume entering my nostrils. I would place the rest of it in my top pocket for later use when the aroma weakened. This bizarre behaviour became a source of amusement for my colleagues. Luckily for the public, my ambulance duties were off-road by that stage, so I didn't treat patients. Ironically, no one challenged the dangers of this new obsession. Subconsciously, I realised the intense effects of the inhalation, and I minimised the depth to which I was breathing so that I didn't reach those dizzy heights. But had I not done this, I could have easily become hooked. So skip forward to the present day, no longer in the ambulance service, but now I'm studying towards becoming a psychologist. And I began to research the commonality of my pregnancy-induced craving. I could only find three journal articles mentioning smell craving, but many others referring to the craving and ingestion of inedible substances. This is termed pica and is a recognised eating disorder. I noticed many similarities between pica and the smell craving, such as the products that the women were trying to ingest were commonly dirt, soap and charcoal. In 2017, a study by Briar Hansen and colleagues identified clinical findings of three female patients that had presented with olfactory or smell cravings, and they all had iron deficiency anemia. These ladies had craved charcoal, coffee, gasoline, dirt, old paper and even canned cat food. I had also been borderline anemic, not just during but also before the pregnancy. So quickly I began to note the common links, cravings of unusual substances and anemia and found these results mimicked previous peer-reviewed studies of patients with PICA. In the PICA cases, iron deficiency anemia had been recognised as the cause of the craving, although there is no clear explanation as to why this happens. All of Hansen's studied cases had resolved their cravings once the iron deficiency had been medically treated. In 2019, Didar Achik was studying PICA patients and iron deficiency anemia and came across three new cases, all women that had presented with olfactory craving rather than edible craving. Their smells of choice included exhaust and gasoline fumes and menthol odours. Again, all three patients had iron deficiency anemia and all resolved their cravings after iron therapy. I truly believe these commonalities deserve further investigation. Research on olfactory craving has been so scarce, yet like with Pika, if the cravings are a clue to underlying blood disorders, they definitely deserve more attention. We need to discover, rather than hypothesise, whether or not anemia is the cause of unusual smell cravings. Can we then identify that the symptom of cravings is a warning sign that the patient may be anemic? Why does the body react in this way? 
And if a patient presenting with these cravings is cleared of an anemic disorder, should they still be monitored to prevent future concerns such as addiction or toxicity? Ultimately, is there a link here or is this all just coincidence? Hansen and colleagues propose that in order to classify smell craving, it should be given a term or a name. The suggestion is desiderosmia. It's a combination of the Latin word desiderare, for desire, and the Greek term osme, which means smell. Interestingly, desidero also means a reduction in iron or a deficiency. Personally, I think the double meanings represented in the label desiderosmia provide an important step to giving this symptom the recognition it deserves. Some may ask, why does it matter? It makes me wonder how many more undiagnosed patients there are going through pregnancy that are having these bizarre symptoms and are otherwise unaware. How many pregnant women experience a smell craving rather than an edible craving? Is it just another strange affiliation to pregnancy? Perhaps so, but an important aspect to consider is the harmful effects that sniffing toxic substances can have, not only on the patient, but on the unborn child. I was acutely aware that my behaviour was not acceptable, so I had the resilience to limit my near addiction. Yet, like I've mentioned previously, I was never challenged, simply because of the accepted craving weirdness in pregnancy, which seems to cloak over any perceived danger. Uncontrolled inhalation of toxic fumes is substance misuse. And the word I want to highlight here is uncontrolled. I experienced how fine the line is between acting in a strange manner and becoming hooked. There is barely a distinction. A previous research review of subjects with identified volatile substance misuse by Bowen in 2011 recognised complications in pregnancy arising from intoxication while inhaling. An example of these complications is the sudden death of the mother, or in other cases, fetal solvent syndrome. The addictive feelings of euphoria and disinhibition that I experienced are classic telltale signs of the substance affecting the central nervous system. The impact on the central nervous system is common amongst anyone subject to hydrocarbon toxic exposure. And a follow-up literature review by Tourmalin and colleagues in 2014 confirmed this. Other reported feelings have included dizziness, a sensation of floating and slurred speech, much like that in alcohol intoxication. And a key point to make here is that these feelings are almost instant, allowing for a perception of empowerment which can lead down a very dangerous path. Sudden death can occur due to a lack of oxygen in the blood or the heart becoming overexcited and misfiring. Fetuses can be affected long term through developmental disorders, growth malformations, premature delivery or even death in the womb. 
Tourmalin's review on hydrocarbon toxicity concluded that comparative to accidental exposure, chronic inhalation causes many major illnesses such as lung, heart and brain disorders but also a much greater risk of death. Therefore, pregnancy should not be an excuse to ignore unusual behaviour. We may be getting clues to underlying medical problems which can easily be fixed. And if that's the case, instead of accepting pregnancy as a mishmash of weirdness, we need to question why. Why does that lady, who has never shown addictive tendencies before, suddenly act in such a bizarre manner? Future research is required to strengthen these arguments. Recognition of the symptom or perhaps disorder could benefit many undiagnosed patients worldwide and also prevent unnecessary substance misuse. So I put a call out to anyone listening to this. Do you have any similar stories? Perhaps you had or you know of someone who experienced strange cravings for smells. They may not have had anemia or a deficiency diagnosed, or indeed perhaps this wasn't even part of the problem. I'd love for you to comment below with any of your stories. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Justine. Justine Hamilton recently finished a degree in psychology from Southern Cross University. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and... 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf, or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. 
When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.